0: Oh, thank you. Oh, you can open your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 28. Joel, thank you for your kind words. I, I miss you. I was telling Ashley how much we miss you and your family. Um, we've got some great memories together. We were sharing some text early this morning, and uh, Joel, uh, Joel asked me if I was to bring my wife Jill. If you don't know Jill, we've been married 41 years, and we have three daughters and ten grandchildren. And I said, No. Sorry for the downgrade. She makes me look a lot better than what I really am. And he said, yep, we'll suffer with you. So that's the kind of friendship that we have. And um, I'm just so encouraged by what you're doing here in Newark. I accepted Joel's kind invitation because I wanted to come and personally thank you, like look you in the eye, social distance, of course, and thank you for your sacrifice to plant this church here in Newark, Delaware, and to do that with our family of churches, Sovereign Grace. Uh, You have existed now two years, if I've got that right, just celebrated your second anniversary uh, last month, or this month, earlier this month, I think it was. And you already, Redeemer Fellowship, are having an impact on our denomination globally. You are strengthening us, and I want to thank you for that. Let me, let me give you some specifics. Just your gospel presence here in Newark, Delaware, your commitment to apply the gospel to your lives, your commitment to share the gospel with the lost, that, that strengthens our family of churches. And in addition to that, the ways that you have sought to serve your community, especially during this pandemic, it's been an example to us. As I, as I travel around, I tell our other churches about this church and the work that you're doing for Christ. And it was such a joy in our last quarterly uh, video to, to highlight the story of Cody and the work of God in your life, Cody. And all of Sovereign Grace was so encouraged. You should have seen the number of emails I got just, oh, that's, such, that's so encouraging. So that's the effect of you sacrificing and having faith to plant this church so thank you thank you thank you if you're new or here to Redeemer Fellowship and you n- may not know much about our small denomination called Sovereign Grace let me tell you why we exist we exist to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ by planting and strengthening churches throughout the world for the glory of God and one of the ways that we do that is through this shared value that we have together. We've got these seven shared values. The one I want to speak about today is entitled Church Planting, Outreach, and Mission. See, the gospel, we believe, is not something only that we want to treasure. We do. It's something that we want to build our churches on. We believe the gospel, it must be proclaimed. It must be told. It must be shared. And so in each point in this message, what I'm going to do is give you some updates on our church planning work and global missions work to give you an idea of how our family of churches is living this value out together. The title of my message is An Unfinished Task, and we're going to read, as Joel mentioned, from what's become known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless the preaching of His Word. On Sunday, February 21st, 2016, over 5,000 churches in 100 different countries sang a hymn entitled, Facing a Task Unfinished. The hymn was sung in many different languages by an estimated 1.1 million Christians on that specific day. The first verse goes like this, Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease we who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known this hymn recently updated by Keith and Kristen Getty was originally written in 1929 by a man by the name of Frank Houghton who was a China, inland mission worker, and a pastor. And he wrote this hymn as a call to send 200 missionaries into China at the height of that country's persecution of Christians. And by the end of 1931, 200 missionaries at the risk of their very own lives had been sent to China as they sought to fulfill a task that is unfinished, the preaching of the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation. And even though this hymn was written 91 years ago, this task to make disciples of all nations, it remains unfinished today. According to the Joshua Project, there are over 6,500 people groups, that's not people, but people groups, who remain unreached with the gospel today. That's about 42% of the world's population. And if you think the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations is simply a work that needs to be done outside of the United States, listen to this statistic. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, that's in the Boston area, approximately 400,000 missionaries were sent to nations throughout the world in the year 2010. Do you know which nation received the most missionaries in that year? The United States. It was, right? It was the United States. In that year, we received 32,400 missionaries that came from other nations to bring the gospel to our nation. That stat alone tells us that there are people living all around us, all around you, who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because our world is much more globally connected than it ever has been in history, the people that live around you may be from different tribes and tongues and nations. So this call to make disciples of all nations, everyone can participate in, whether you go to another nation like the Ukraine or You simply reach out to your neighbor across the street. See, the Great Commission is a reminder that you as a church and that we as a family of churches have an unfinished task to make disciples of all nations. And it's why we specifically have this shared value of church planting, outreach, and global missions. Because we believe as a family of churches that through local outreach, through the planting of churches in partnership together throughout the world, by by doing global missions like in the Ukraine, we will, in some small way, participate in this unfinished task to make disciples of all nations. And we share this value. We call it a shared value because there's so much more that we can do together than any one church can do alone. So three things that we learn from the Great Commission. Here's the first one. We fulfill God's global mission for His glory. We fulfill God's global mission for His glory. Jesus says here in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It begs the question, okay, who's given Jesus this authority? Now, according to several passages in our Bibles, we know that God the Father has given God the Son, this universal authority. Let me just give you one proof text. John chapter 12, verse 49. This is Jesus speaking. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. God the Father who has given Jesus this universal authority is our Father as well because He is our Creator. And because he is our creator, we know that he has created the heavens and the earth. You know this from your Genesis series. You saw this early on in the very first verse in the series that you're in, in Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth, giving him exclusive reign and exclusive authority. And you know the Genesis narrative? After God creates the heavens and the earth, he creates man and woman, and he places them in the Garden of Eden. At this point in redemptive history, before the fall, there was no need for mission in the Garden of Eden, as in one day there will be no need for mission in the new heavens and the new earth. But as you know, because of Adam's original sin, all of creation, including people from all nations, are, are fallen. They have, we have rejected God's universal authority and reign, and we are now rightly objects of his wrath. And yet, very early in our Bibles, you're going to see this in just a few weeks, we, see, we get a glimpse of God's initiative that he takes towards sinners to save them from his righteous judgment. We see that in Genesis 3, verse 15, where God is speaking to the serpent who had tempted Eve and Adam. And this is what he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God announces that the offspring of Eve, which can be traced to the person of Jesus Christ, will bruise the head of Satan where he decisively defeats him through his death on the cross. In Genesis 3.15 we get the first glimpse of the gospel in all of Scripture and from Genesis 3.15 we see God's progression. We see his gracious movement to save a desperately needy fallen world that is in rebellion against him and which stands under his righteous wrath. Here's the point that I'm making. Our God is a God of mission, who takes initiative to save people from wrath by sending his only son as we sang earlier to achieve his gracious purposes of salvation through his death and resurrection in the gospel. It is this God, the creator And the ruler of the universe who gives Jesus this universal authority and he sends him to seek and to save the lost. You see, we've got to remember that mission did not originate with man. Mission did not originate with us. It originated with God because God took initiative to save us. His mission is our mission and it's a global mission intended to reach every tribe and tongue and nation with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we referenced the first book in the Bible. We're kind of in the middle of the Bible here in the gospel. Let's look at the last book in our Bible. Because according to the book of Revelation, Revelation 7 in particular, we find that the ultimate purpose for us to share the gospel, to go to Ukraine, to participate in church planting, is this. To bring God alone exclusive glory in the new heavens and the new earth. The book of Revelation, its a, in some ways, it's a complex book, right? But it's a wonderful book because it gives us these glimpses of what we will enjoy on that day. And hasn't 2020 made you look forward to that day more? It has has for me. All right, so listen to what we will enjoy. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, and then verse 12. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Stop for a minute. Stop in the middle of 2020 here. Near the end of 2020, I mean. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are going to stand there one day. We're going to look across this great multitude before the throne of God. I mean, that alone, it just draws your heart to to that day, doesn't it? And look at the composition of this great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb and crying out with with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They fell on their faces before the throne, worship God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever, meaning eternity. Amen. See, the Great Commission reveals God's mission, and its ultimate purpose is to give God exclusive glory. That's why John Piper says so well, mission exists because worship doesn't. And that's why Sovereign Grace exists. By God's grace, we are a global family of churches seeking to advance God's global mission that He originated in Genesis 3.15 and continues today for His glory. Our desire to see more people on that day gather with us on that great multitude, that desire, it, it, it brings a sense of urgency and it fuels our passion for the mission that we share in Sovereign Grace. So let me just tell you a few stories to tell you how we're living that out to, together. Uh, right now we have about 20 churches in the Philippines who have formally requested to be a part of our denomination. Quite frankly, Pray for Wisdom, that's a lot of churches. We've gotta got walk through that in a, in a wise way. We currently have nine Sovereign Grace churches in Mexico, with four more who have requested adoption in the Sovereign Grace. Just about a month ago, I received a, a, a letter formally requesting adoption from a church in Hermosa, Costa Rica. Uh, I was there in February before the lockdown with José Lo Mercado and met a man by the name of Roberto S. Um, Sandoval. He goes by Chespey. He's become a friend and Chespy wants to have his church adopted into Sovereign Grace. And by the way, if you ever want to take a mission trip, Joel, to there, let me know, because Chespey's set up for that kind of thing. I've been talking with Rodrigo Fournier, who leads a church in San Jose, Costa Rica, a church of about 600, and just in our last conversation about six weeks ago, he said, Mark, um, my church, La Vina we we want to become a part of Sovereign Grace. How do we do that? And so those are just churches who are requesting adoption into our small family of churches. But we continue to plant churches as well. I want to tell you a story of a church we have planted in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Living Hope Church in Fayetteville was planted just about a year ago. And Matt Gray, the senior pastor of that church, sent me this story. It's about a 49-year-old man who recently repented of his sins. And placed his faith in Jesus Christ. This man had struggled with a gay lifestyle, but God was pursuing him through the people of Living Hope who reached out to him and loved him and befriended him and shared the gospel with him. This man recently said to Matt, This I now realize how bizarre my thinking about my gay lifestyle was, concerned only about holding on to my gay identity, not so much in the church, but within the world. I, I I write this to you, Matt, in the month of June, when it's June Gay Pride Month, and the very thought of proclaiming my pride over my past identity brings tears to my eyes. Now, you know he's a new Christian. Listen to this. I googled pride, and it looks like it's one of those seven deadly sins. (laughs) I assure you, and God, I'm not proud of my wickedness. Matt, thank you for the wisdom and gentle reminder. Thank you for sharing the gospel And God has called me now to step away from my worldly identity and to trust Christ. He said this, this was during the pandemic, I look forward to watching your new sermon video on Facebook. It's funny, I used to wait impatiently each week for my Netflix and Hulu shows to drop. In a million years, I never thought I'd be waiting for church videos. (laughs) This man, I got pictures. This man was baptized just last month. and is now pursuing membership in Living Hope Church. I tell you that story because that's why we plant churches. We don't plant churches to grow sovereign grace. We're not interested in numbers. We plant churches to reach 49-year-old men like this. And regardless of the money it costs, regardless of the sacrifice, if we only reach that man through that church plant, it's worth it because that man will be with us on that day in that great multitude. Brothers and sisters, let us continue this unfinished task to fulfill God's global mission for His glory. Second thing we learn from the Great Commission. Number two, we are sent by Jesus with His good news. We are sent by Jesus with His good news. It's interesting, Matthew begins his gospel account in a very unique way. He says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew begins his gospel this way, not only because he is writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, but he's intentional to connect the person of Jesus Christ to the person of Abraham. That's important because God's redemptive movement to save sinners that he began in Genesis chapter 3, he continues in Genesis chapter 12 where God makes his covenant with Abraham and sending him from his native country, saying to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing we know not only extends to Abraham's physical descendants, but all who, as Paul tells us in Galatians 3, are children of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 26, and then 28 and 29. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, daughters of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, I mean, you've placed your trust in Him, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise made back in Genesis 12. God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ in the gospel where the blessing of salvation is offered to people from all nations. All those who turn from their sin, who repent of their sin, and place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone are in Christ and, as Paul tells us, are in Christ themselves a son or daughter of abraham you see that the message of our mission is this it is the life death and resurrection of jesus christ who fulfills this promise that is made to abraham so when jesus stands on this mountain in galilee and he says to us go therefore and make disciples of all nations he sends us with only one message and that message is the gospel And that message is intended to be shared, to be told, to be proclaimed, which is why we write about this value that we share in Sovereign Grace, church planning, outreach, and global missions, we write the first sentence this way. Our gospel centrality entails not only treasuring the gospel personally, but sharing it passionately. We are a family of churches, a small family of churches sent by Jesus to passionately share his good news. And by the way, that that make disciples language there that you see there in verse 19, it links mission with the local church. Eckhart Schnabel says it this way, the directive to make disciples demonstrates the ecclesiological, that's a theological term that means local church, the ecclesiological, ecclesiological dimension of the mission. Missionary work and church must not be separated, since the very goal and purpose of missionary work is the creation of a community of disciples. See, that's why your gospel presence here in the Newark area is vital. That's why it's crucial. That's why it's important, because... Local and global mission, it springs from the local church and it leads to the planting of new churches where people are born again, they are discipled and they mature in Jesus Christ. So through your gospel outreach here in the Newark area and through our partnership together where we are planting churches throughout the world um, and strengthening churches around the world, the gospel is being shared, people are being saved, they're being added to churches, and they're being discipled in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you just a, a few more quick stories. Ten years ago, we as a denomination, planted a church in Sydney, Australia, led by Dave Taylor, Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney. They just celebrated in this month, I think it was two weeks ago, their 10th anniversary. Now, a year ago, they sent out their first church planting team. That's something that you may do, Redeemer Fellowship, at some point. They planted a church in another part of Sydney, the Parramatta section of Sydney, um, which is a different ethnic makeup in many ways. And just, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, this church, this new church plant, celebrated their one-year anniversary. And on that day, they baptized six new Christians. And they added 12 members to this church. And I think they had a team of about 12 people. It wasn't a very big, big team. I, I share that story because, because that's what we do. It's, it's, it illustrates that local churches plant local churches, and it leads to people being saved. We're currently planting churches in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, in in Kingston, Jamaica. We have plans to plant churches in the next, uh, probably eight months, in Prattville, Alabama, in San Antonio, Texas, and in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. So be praying for those church plants. I, I share those because Jesus sends us with one message. He sends us with the gospel of Jesus Christ and one of the ways we advance the gospel together is by planting churches that are filled with people like you who are passionate about sharing the gospel. Okay, third thing we learn from the Great Commission. Number three, we make disciples dependent on the Holy Spirit. We make disciples dependent on the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 19 and 20 again with me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Joel mentioned in communion, Jesus shares these words right before his ascension. And even though he is physically leaving the earth, he he assures us, He promises us that He will always be with us. We, we know verse 20, at least in part, is a pointing to the day of Pentecost. There in Acts chapter 2, that unique day in redemptive history where the believers are gathered and they are filled with the Spirit. And one of the effects of being filled with the Spirit is they are bold witnesses for Christ. In fact, Luke records Jesus' words right before His ascension this way in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. See, as Jesus sends us, and he is always with us, filling us with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to be his witnesses, it's the Spirit that gives us power to be bold to share the gospel. It's the Spirit that leads us into mission work into the Ukraine. It's the Spirit that leads us to plant churches. See, one of the the signs of being a Spirit-filled believer is that you boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that our ability as a denomination to live out this value of outreach and church planting and global mission is completely dependent upon the filling and the empowering and the leading of the Holy Spirit. To say it another way, our mission is a Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered mission. And this truth, it highlights something for us. It highlights that our Trinitarian God, is a God of mission that seeks and saves the lost. God the Father, as we have seen, initiates mission in Genesis chapter 3. He promises the blessing of salvation to all who will trust Christ in Genesis 12, and He fulfills that promise by sending His only Son to accomplish this great salvation. And the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through the virgin birth, he, he steps into this dark world where He lives a perfect life, and He dies a perfect death for my sins and for your sins offering the atoning sacrifice that removes wrath from us and gives us favor with God. And then on the third day, he rises again from the dead, confirming salvation for sinners. And before his ascension, where he leaves this earth, he commissions us to to go and make disciples not on our own, but with the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit that fills us and empowers us. See, every person of the Trinity is involved in mission to reach the lost, which gives us hope that our involvement in mission will not be in vain. And it unburdens us, because for us to fulfill this this great commission doesn't rest completely upon our shoulders. It is empowered by the Spirit and the help of the Holy Spirit of of God. I I want you to hear this, because we we talk about this as a leadership team in leading our denomination. We don't put our hope in our plans and strategies. Now, we do those things. It's good to plan. It's good to strategize, but we don't put our hope in them. Rather, to fulfill this mission, we put our hope in our Trinitarian God who loves sinners and seeks to save them. Let me just, just illustrate that, that for you. We, we never intended, never had a map on the wall where we wanted to plant a church in Zap, Zaprisk, if I'm even saying it right, Croatia. But a spirit-led series of events led Mario Vecinovich and his family to relocate there several about four years ago to plant his church. We, we never intended to plant in Jamaica. We didn't like, boy, that'd be a great place to do mission trips. Let's plant in Jamaica. We never thought that way until these brothers from Jamaica reached out to us and wanted to plant a church with sovereign grace. We we never planned to potentially plant a church in Reynosa, Mexico. I don't even know where Reynosa, Mexico is when I was told this story, but Carlos Contreras, who leads our church in Juarez, said, Mark, this is just a spirit-led thing. He said, Reynosa, Mexico is a a gang-infested city. It's, It's a dangerous and it's a tough place. And there was a man in that city, a believer, who for his work traveled to Juarez because he did some consulting with his company. He heard about Iglesia Gracia Soberana, a sovereign grace church in Juarez, a church there of about 800 people, probably planted 25, 30 years ago. And he started attending this church when he took business trips, and he just got—he just loved the gospel-centered values that we share together. And he said to Carlos, we got to plant a church like this in my, in my gang-infested city in Reynosa. And Carlos said, well, let's just pray, because we don't know how to do that. And so uh, uh, several months later, this man's company came to him and said, look, we've got more work in Juarez. Would you, would you move to Juarez? He said, I would love to move to Juarez. And so he's he's moved to Juarez, he's become a member of that church as he's working, and now Carlos is talking to him about he may be the man that needs to be equipped for ministry that then would be sent from the church in Juarez to plant in Reynosa, and that may happen in the next several years. I I tell you that story because that is a spirit-led story, isn't it? See, it reminds us that our, our mission is a Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered mission. See, we, we as a denomination, we believe that the work of the Holy Spirit continues today, and it will continue until Christ returns. We call ourselves continuationists, and one of the marks and one of the works of a continuationist is that you are a bold witness for Jesus Christ. So if you're like me and you have fear at times, you have reluctance, you get tongue-tied when you share the gospel with others, just do this. Pray for the filling of the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to fill you and to empower you, and He will give you boldness, and He will even give you words to say, because God loves that sinner you are speaking to. See, our unfinished task of advancing the gospel by doing local outreach and church planting and global missions, it must be done in a dependence upon and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me close with this. One of the unique features of this gospel account is that the gospel ends on a note of both triumph and expectation. Triumph in the sense that Jesus speaks these words after his death and resurrection where he has defeated sin and Satan and death itself. He now stands on this mountain in Galilee as our triumphant Savior. And now He sends us with His triumphant good news, the gospel. Expectation in the sense that as we go to do that, He will always be with us through the filling and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And the expectation that one day our mission will actually end. Look again at verse 20. Second half of verse 20. Jesus says, and behold. When Jesus says that, it's one of those moments where he's saying, hey, wait a minute, listen up. Real important, what I'm about to say here, I want you to get this. I am with you always to the end of the age. He's saying there's a day coming when I will return to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, this age will end, because I'm going to come, and I'm going to announce I'm making all things new, and I'm going to bring with me the new heavens and the new earth, and a new age will begin. And on on that day, and from that day, there will be no need for mission in the new heavens, in the new earth, because all of those that are be gathered around us in the new heavens and the new earth. A part of that great multitude, they will have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, singing to God and to the Lamb, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, remember the ultimate purpose of our mission to make disciples of all nations is the worship of God who sits on the throne, and, who, and He will be worshiped forever by those who have placed their trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So I hold that up before you because I, I want that eternal vision to give us the expectation that one day our unfinished task will be finished. I hold that vision up before you, brothers and sisters, because until that day, with urgency and passion, purpose to be a local church, let us purpose to be a family of churches who give our lives and our money and our time and our effort and our prayers to make disciples of all nations as we reach our neighborhoods and nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we go, believe. Believe the triumphant Savior will be with you. And He will help us through our spirit-empowered labors to bring the gospel to people who will one day, one day join us before the throne and sing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.